Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, sorry, getting a little feedback there, Robin. Uh, and you know, it, it's been an interesting week. We had uh, election uh, day yesterday, and I put day in air quotes. You may not be able to see that, depending on where we are with our Facebook Live um, connection. We're trying to get our video up there. I'm pretty sure we've got audio up on Facebook Live. Um, but, you know, we, we've changed our elections so much in Oregon. It, it's so fucking election day. And um, it, it's just Strange, but the, you know, we, we got election day to talk about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about short-term rentals and the world track championships coming up and, and something called moving ahead. Maybe a lot of people haven't heard of uh, that people are starting to, to hear about. Uh, gas prices set records across the U.S. again, you know, all those things, supply chain shortages, you know, baby formula Gosh, it all makes the news, but um, I want to just spend a minute and and note the passing of, of a, a great public servant and a friend of mine, uh, former Sheriff Tom Turner, former Chief of Police at, at um, City of Florence, uh, former Eugene Police Officer, um, long career in law enforcement. Uh, Tom was one of those guys that almost always had a smile on his face. In fact, sometimes, you know, I, I, I you know, had to coach him sometimes as, as we were dealing with some pretty heavy subjects around his budget and trying to get the, uh, the, the jail levy passed that Tom you know, had this habit of having a little nervous giggle in his voice. Um, and anyone that knows Tom or, you know, probably remembers that. Sometimes that giggle seemed really inappropriate when you were talking about serious issues of um, releasing Measure 11 offenders out to the street and, and, and other issues with crime. You know, having a giggle in your voice at the same time sometimes didn't work real well with the public. Uh, but uh, uh, what a great guy he was. Just nice and genuine. Um, apparently, According to everybody I know, uh, you know, at the sheriff's office and over in Florence, was a great boss, uh, you know, a, a real leader of people, um, and a great family man. I mean, his family was all so, um, just 
wanted to take a moment and, and take note of the passing of Tom Turner here on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, it's kind of strange when, uh, you know, you start seeing, I remember appointing Tom my very, in my very first year. In fact, in my first month as a commissioner, we had to fill that position. Um, and, uh, you know, Tom was a, a good guy. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he will be missed. Um, so kind of moving on to something that is somewhat equally depressing to me in some ways. It's, you know, it's always really sad when people pass. Um, but, you know, it's, it's equally sad when you see your government do things that makes people trust government less. And this whole idea of postmark ballots and counting going on for a whole week past election day to where there's almost no final results in almost any of the elections. You know, here we are 20, you know, almost 24 hours past the end of, of, of supposedly, you know, the uh, election being at a close and nobody knows who won anything because they're still counting ballots. And, and from what I understand, they received 2000 ballots in the mail today. Um, at Lane, in Lane County, let alone some of the other counties, and let alone what's going on up there in Clackamas County with the barcodes that were printed fuzzy on the ballots, and they're having to hand copy every ballot over. Um, it just really makes um, people worry about your mic's hot, Robert, so I'm hearing that. Um, sorry, little little feedback on the sound system there. Uh, so yeah, it you know it's one of those things where you know things aren't final, and people are just you know kind of not you know trusting as they kind of see results slowly changing over time. It used to be, you know, you saw counting that happened overnight, but usually by somewhere about midnight to 2 a.m., they had counted like 99% of the vote. And unless you were close enough to, to for a recount, you more or less knew who won by Wednesday morning. But this postmark thing, what's really, I'm really concerned about is these ballots now are postpaid. Is every post office running them through a postage meter, you know, the, to cancel them? You know, are they going to get canceled? Is the cancellation going to be legible? You know, is the date and time on that postmark even going to be present on the envelope? And is it going to be legible? So in a couple of days, if an envelope shows up at the elections office that has no postmark on it, or a faint postmark it or uh, or unlegible, and it's you know maybe it's like six or seven days from now because they're allowed to count up to seven days afterwards. Is that ballot going to count? You know, how many are going to show up late? How many people didn't understand that? You know, to get something postmarked by the, you know, close of the the election, 
you actually had to have it in the post office sometime earlier in the day where they had time to actually postmark it. If you put it in a U.S. postal mailbox at 7.55 in the evening, it probably didn't get postmarked till the following day, picked up. So there's that, that whole issue of, you know, people being confused about, you know, because if you drop your ballot into an official ballot drop box, those get picked up, you know, they come out and lock them at 8 o'clock so they don't get any more ballots put in them, and they empty them and take them to the elections office. Into an official ballot drop box at 755, your vote's going to count. Into a U.S. mailbox at 755, probably not, although I don't know. We can't be assured of that. It's just one more place where people are not going to trust the integrity of the election, and therefore they won't believe the results. And we, we've been doing things in Oregon slowly over time that cause more and more distrust of the results. Vote by mail in general is fraught with issues where you don't know who actually filled that ballot out. All you're doing is matching the signature on the outside envelope. You don't know how much influence a dominant person in a household had in having every person that was an eligible voter fill out their ballot the same way they did. You don't know if some senior citizen had some, you know, nursing assistant fill their ballot out and they, they, you know, signed it and it went in that way. And it wasn't, you know, they could have been saying that they were voting, you know, this is who they wanted to vote for, while the, while the nursing assistant's filling in different votes. And they may not have good enough eyesight or any eyesight at all to be able to check that. All that gets compared is that signature. And let alone how we actually allow voter registration in this state. I mean, even before motor voter which is registering people that don't want to vote. And if you want proof of that, look how low the turnout was in this election. We are registering people automatically as voters that will probably never, ever exercise that right because they just don't care. One of the reasons why unaffiliated is the fastest and largest segment of our voting public now in Oregon, because if you don't pick a party, that's what you get registered as when you get a driver's license in this state, unaffiliated. Even before motor voter, the ability to register to vote has so little proof of who you are. They basically accept that you, if you sign the voter registration card, it says, by the way, you know you're subject to up to a $10,000 fine if you lie on this card. Yet our state has never really done any investigation to ever really find anybody for filling that card out wrong or, or registering multiple times. When's the last time you heard of somebody being arrested or fined over a voter registration violation? So it's really easy to register to vote with almost no proof of citizenship, no proof of who you are. You, you can show, you literally can show a bill from at the electric company 
with your name on it and, and an address, and they accept that as proof. Does the electric company check your citizenship and all that stuff, and that whether you're really a resident or not? And you know, and, and various other bills they they accept as proof of your address and who you are. Basically, it's it's that signature, and they say, well, you know, they're up to ten thousand dollar fine. You know, how could there be voter fraud and registration if we if we can find people ten? You never investigated, Oregon. When's the last time you heard of the state attorney general? going out and investigating this, or the Secretary of State's office going out and investigating whether or not there's illegal voter registration happening in Oregon. Because there are big questions about it. Our local Republican Party found multiple houses in Lane County with 75 people registered to vote from that single address. You know, they made up a listing of all the addresses where there were 10 and more voters registered to that particular address, and they came up with multiples of that. Probably the biggest one is the Eugene Mission had like 150 people or 200-some registered to vote at that address, and all those ballots get mailed to that address, all those various names of various homeless people that have registered to vote through that you know, given that as their address, do they really get those ballots? You know, are, are they, you know, being filled out by somebody else? Yeah, I, I just kind of wonder about, you know, some of this, you know, but there, there are other addresses besides the mission. I actually trust the management of the mission a lot more than I trust some of the other addresses in some of the university neighborhoods that have 75 people, you know, registered in a, in a three-bedroom house. <laughs> That you kind of got to wonder about. So we're not doing a good job on the integrity of how we register voters. We're registering people that don't really care. So they're getting mailed ballots. You know, these these motor voter people all being mailed ballots. There's lots of ballots floating around in the mail system and mailboxes, possibly into recycle bins. You know, and... You know, are they all being filled out by that voter and they're only getting, you know, and everybody's only getting to vote once? You know, equal protection under the law, we're only allowed to vote once because we're all supposed to be equal. But I have a feeling that there's some people that might be filling out extra ballots. And how do we check for that? And now we've gone to this postmark thing, so we have no idea when the actual election ends and we have them floating in over the next couple of days, which just leads to that Multnomah County thing when, when Chris Dudley was running for governor and he was actually leading on election night and Multnomah County kept finding new boxes of ballots. Do you remember that? Till finally there was enough that he lost in the Democrat one. Think Dino Rossi up there in King County. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. I mean, I was kind of, you know, some of the results that you could sort of glean from last night um, were looking pretty good. In fact, it kind of looks like we might have a new majority on the Lane County Board of Commissioners in, a, in another year. 
And basically right now, and I say this because, and, and I'm not sure this is going to be the, continue to be the trend, but in the last, you know, multiple elections I've watched as a county commissioner for county commissioner races, the first tally at 8 o'clock tends to give a little bit more weight to whoever the, the liberal candidate is or candidates. And as they count later votes that are turned in later in the in the voting process, they tend to favor the conservative candidate. And I remember in the one race that I came close to losing, I was behind at 8 o'clock after the first turn of the crank by over 200 votes. And every time they updated the vote, voter count, I caught up. So I passed the person I was running against and ultimately won that race. So I'm pretty sure that if there's a conservative candidate in the lead at 8 o'clock on election night, they usually will end up winning. Now, the twist in this is this whole crazy thing with the mail ballots and how they're able to maybe rig that system. And, and that's, that's I'm, I'm concerned about that. And it just seems to me that, that election day should be election day. New York State ran into a huge issue about taking postmark dates. And we shouldn't be, you know, doing what New York does. We should be trying to find a way to make our elections trusted by the electorate that they're, that people are only getting to vote once, they're being counted correctly, and they can trust the results. So it'll be interesting to watch, you know, because at least from the – they only released two sets of numbers yesterday, 8 o'clock and then later on at 11.15, and true to form – the conservative candidates gained votes in those in those you know as the time went on. So it's looking like David Lovell is going to probably be the new Springfield commissioner um, at 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 this point in time. I can't you can't declare him the winner because it's too close to call right now. And then from there, it looks like Ryan Seneca is leading Don Leslie. Uh, but they are going to, neither of them is going to make the 50% plus one, so they'll be in a runoff. But Ryan actually has got more votes now in the primary, and the two other candidates that took a significant, you know, six and seven percent of the vote, um, neither of them are, are liberal candidates. So their voters are probably going to move over to Ryan. And I have a pretty, I have a, really good feeling about his ability to win that race in November. So that would put, um, change the board over to basically, a, um, you know, a, a, a two, two, one board where Pat Farr would be the swing vote. But I know on certain issues, Pat has voted with me again in a, in three, two votes. And some of those issues uh, I can tell you are, are things like rejoining the association of ONC counties and trying to get, federal force back working for our government to try and give us more resources for things like law enforcement. Um, so good things probably are going to come out of that. I think it'll be, a, it'll be an interesting board um, at times and uh, a thoughtful board because I, I, I think both David and Ryan are going to add 
add to the board of commissioners um, in good ways. A little disappointed about where where uh, East Lane ended up, but um, can't win them all. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, and it's fascinating. Um, you know, I I I get copied or sent. You know, people end up on email lists or or Facebook pages. You know that people don't realize they're not really their supporters. So if they send stuff out, a lot of times it gets forwarded to me. And I got forwarded an email from uh, Joe Bernie, uh, you know, thanking his supporters, but also basically attacking uh, his opponent and attacking the electorate as being, um, you know, unmotivated and uninformed and, and, and it's like, wow, <laughs> call the voters stupid after the election, basically. Um, but he talked about, you know, character and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, you're the one that tried to say somebody was lying about saying that you voted for pay raise when you did, which means you were lying about saying they lied. You're the one that got $81,000 in change in Lane County funds and delivered basically nothing for it, according to an audit and investigation that happened um, from almost 10 years, you know, well, actually it's more than 10 years ago now, it's about 12 or 13 years ago, before I became a commissioner. And, uh, you know, all sorts of other things like your paid political consultant being on the redistricting committee and drawing maps to, uh, you know, using um, executive sessions to make decisions. It, yeah, don't don't talk character. And, you know, and even though we had a pretty uh, technologically challenged show last week, uh, if you did get to listen to any of it, one of the things I talked about was um, integrity in general and honesty in candidates because I had a conversation with David Lovell, our abbreviated one, because we had a really hard time with our technology last week. Um, unfortunately, Robin, my call screener, producer extraordinaires, computer crashed on her, which reminds me, I keep forgetting to say this, but we are calling show 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one. So Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to talk on the Bose No Show, because we'll talk about what you want to talk about. Again, 646-721-9887, and don't forget to press 1. Um, but, you know, I was talking last week about integrity and, and some of the reasons why it's so important to me and I hold it such a strong value. Um, you know, some of the things that influenced me, like my dad's cheating on my mom and and dealing with that whole messy divorce and all that and how that kind of has affected my whole outlook as an adult and everything. And, and it was kind of funny after that conversation, I've been trying to clean out some old papers and I ran across a box that had things um, from my engineering career in it. And in particular, it had my book of evidence when I applied to become a professional engineer back in the state of Maryland. And then it had um, a, a packet a copy of the information I had sent in to 
the state of Oregon to ask for comedy when I moved out to Oregon so I could become a professional engineer in Oregon. And one of the things I found in there was a um, reference that one of my clients from Maryland had written to the Oregon State Board of Engineering Examiners um, about my application to be a professional engineer in Oregon. And they asked various questions, you know, and he's talking about, you know, what a great, you know, engineer I am and some of you know, my technical skills and everything. And you get down to a question that says, do we need to do any further investigation? And his answer to that was not necessary, true Boy Scout. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that just about nails it. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, that, that's, that's why when people aren't honest, it bothers me so much because that, you know, and, and mind you, that application for comedy was way back in 1994, that that prior client, now mind you, a client of, of mine as a consulting engineer where I was having to argue with that client over billing, schedules, and everything else, and trying to you know work through designing subdivisions and projects for that client, multi-million dollar projects, yet his opinion of me was true Boy Scout even as, as adversarial as a client and, and consultant relationship gets at times. Um, it, it's just kind of funny. It was like the, the day after I'd had that conversation on the Bose Nose show here, I ran into that piece of paper that had that description. It's like, yep, that's it. That's why Jay gets angry about people that aren't honest. <laughs> because that's one of my values. Uh, speaking about not being terribly honest, you know, as we as we have, you know, leadership in this state, which has been kind of one-sided for, you know, 20 years now, constantly talking about the housing crisis, the homeless, affordable housing, how bad it is, but yet when we try to resolve some of it, their biggest concern is, oh, we don't want to create a bunch of short-term rentals. You know, we don't want everybody turning them into Airbnbs or VRB, whatever that, you know, you know, other one is. But it's like when we tried to get through accessory dwelling units, knowing, you know, granny flats behind a house or, or whatever, that's all we heard was, oh, no, we got, we got to make sure they don't become vacation rentals or short-term rentals, as, as the phrase is. Um, and it's like, why are you worried about that? There's only, you know, there's, there'll be demand for short-term rentals, but then, you know, if they flood that market, they'll become long-term rentals. <laughs> it's like any sort of housing's good, no matter how it gets used. You know, and having somebody have a short, you know, an ADU in their backyard that's a short-term rental might, you know, outcompete some other person's short-term rental. And that person, because they can't keep enough people renting it, will go, you know what, I need to probably do something that's longer term, month to month or an annual lease so I can keep somebody in this and, and make money year round because I'm not making up for the expense of owning that extra building or that addition I put on my house. You know, that that's, and I couldn't seem to 
win that argument with a lot of people. And it was always, always seemed to be liberal progressive people that were making an argument. Oh, we don't want to have people making money, you know, from these ADUs. It's like, why do you care? We should just want housing, period. We flood the market with us. Now, suddenly, fast forward. Now, we are, I've been having these arguments for 10 or 12 years now with people about vacation rentals and Airbnbs and, and, and all that stuff on ADUs, on, you know, you name it. People are, are always worried about, oh, it's going to become a short-term rental or an Airbnb, and, and it won't really add to the housing stock. It's like, why do you care? If we if we flood the market with short-term rentals, that market will actually flip to other housing types because they won't be able to make money as short-term rentals. But here we are, fast forward to this year, and suddenly everybody... Everybody wants... Everybody, folks talking about, yeah, if you've got, you know... That, that granny flat in the backyard, think about renting it out during the world track championships because we, we can't find enough housing for everybody. Have we not artificially been trying to worry so much about short-term rentals? Any housing is good housing at this point. Well, cookie time for the poodle. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that was just kind of an interesting thing to, to watch that, that switch be turned. And, and, and why is the switch turning? We're having a big event in Eugene. And we want that event to go off smoothly. Sort of like, you know, suddenly clearing out Washington Jefferson Park of homeless campers and, and, you know, clearing them out from the downtown area and getting a little bit more aggressive about that. Hmm, I think that might have anything to do with that. Oh, yeah. So, uh, speaking of the downtown area, how about those party patrols? I, I feel sorry for the Eugene Police Department because they have to deal with this, but what has gotten into people? When did it become acceptable for parents to go to mixers and beer bashes with their kids in college? I never brought my parents to College Park in the University of Maryland, even though, you know, I was a short distance away, you know, you know, half an hour distance basically was to my house. But, you know, my parents never came to any of my college parties. They weren't interested in coming partly, and I wasn't interested in having them there. <laughs> so why in the world have we had two incidences of parties getting completely out of hand while parents were there? And some of the parents were participating in the behaviors that were you know, anti-cop, you know, throwing things at police officers. So this last, you know, after two incidences of that, 
finally EPA is like, you know what? We're not going to try and educate first. We're just going to fine. We're going to arrest you and we're going to release you and fine and and put a court summons on you for a fine for whatever you know violation you were you know you know minor in possession, uh, open containers, you know disturbing the peace, urinating in public, whatever it is that was happening. We're going to start writing the tickets. And that's what they spent this last weekend doing. And things are a little quieter, but, you know, there are still people were throwing things at law enforcement officers still. They're still throwing beer bottles. They were throwing eggs from balconies at them. I, I, you know, I, I feel so, I feel sorry for the EPD because it's not, you know, you know, the University of Oregon keeps talking about, oh, we have a student code of, of contact that p- applies on and off campus. It's like, when was the last time you heard of a kid being expelled from the U of O for something that happened at an off-campus party? I haven't heard that one. So the U of O is going to walk the walk. They have to do some investigations. They ought to be in contact with EPD and, and some of those folks that were written those citations, if they're registered as students at UVO, should be coming before a disciplinary hearing board and at least having to explain their behavior and be given, a, you know, yeah, the first warning or whatever it takes, you know, and, you know, next time you're gone type thing. And, and yank a knot in some of these people, you know, I had a great time in, in college. I did my share of partying, but, you know, we kept it under control. And, uh, you know, if the police got called, it was bad news. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, you can have fun impacting your neighbors. And, and that's really where, you know, because the police don't come unless they get a noise call or some other complaint. You know, unless there's a disturbance of some kind that that brings them to that party. They don't go around looking for parties to bust. You have to already be impacting other people with your behavior before they show up. And then you have the gall to blame them and to start throwing stuff at them and resisting arrest and and arguing with them and then mom stepping in. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... Oh my God! When did parents start going to college parties? It's so weird. I guess I'm just becoming an old geezer. But got other stuff I want to talk about. I got to just briefly mention gas prices set a new record in the U.S. where every state in the union broke four dollars a gallon gallon average gas price for regular unleaded gas. That includes states like Louisiana, where they have refineries and are, you know, and, and around Houston, Texas and stuff, you know, that you, you, to, to get those states to be over $4 a gallon, you got to really be, you know, it's got to be an inflation sort of situation. Um, so had to, Note that little thing there. Um, of course, it always amazes me that people can't connect the dots. 
they can't understand that um, when you print money, you get inflation. And we have increased the money supply in this country over the last couple of years by over 40%. It's, and it's, it's costing us. At the same time, we're having all sorts of problems with, you know, uh, supply chains and, and things like that that are also helping push up prices. But I want to talk a little bit about that because one of the things that's going on in this country, it, it seems like if a lot of the policies, if they were trying to plan for shortages and causing price increases, they're putting in place policies that do it. From our land use policies and worrying about short-term rentals, which are, caught, which are continuing to exacerbate the housing crisis, to um, California and their regulation of diesel engines. This may not be something folks are aware of, but California is basically going to ban a major portion of the U.S. truck fleet from the state because they are making it illegal to have a truck over a certain age in California. It's all based on emissions controls and, 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 you know, quote, environmental and climate change stuff. But then you wonder why there's ships stacking up off the coast of California that can't get unloaded because the car, cargo terminals are full of containers that can't get out of the port. Because California is limiting the trucks going in there. And then we have other policies that are making our transportation network slower, more cumbersome, and harder to move freight. And a perfect example of that here locally is something called moving ahead. And it's kind of gone under the radar because it sounds like a great thing. Well, who wouldn't want to move ahead? I love how they always name things in a way that makes it sound like a wonderful thing, when really what it is is going backwards. The objective of moving ahead is to basically limit automobile traffic capacity, in fact, even reduce it in some cases, in favor of buses and bicycles on some of our major thoroughfares in the Eugene area. And they picked out four of them that I think they're going after in the, in the immediate future, Highway 99, River Road, Coburg Road, and there's, there's one other, and it's slipping my mind right now. I'll remember it in a, in a minute. <laughs> but the, basically, those three, you know, major arterial roadways that get from downtown out to the suburbs and Beltline, what they're planning to do is prioritize mass transit and, and bicycle pedestrian movement on those at the expense of automobile capacity. And people are starting to get wind of this and understand what that project really meant when the city of Eugene adopted it and LTD pushed it forward. 
How many people living in River Road, Santa Clara, think that River Road has adequate automobile capacity right now? Have you ever tried to go through Beltline at rush hour? You know, tried to get anywhere around that Division Avenue interchange and, and uh, you know, River Avenue and around the, when the high school's letting out? Oh, my God. It's crazy. But they might take a traffic lane away and dedicate it to LTD for bus rapid transit. going backwards. Every time you hear moving ahead, you ought to think about going backwards. And in addition to that, you know, I sit in on um, stakeholder meetings, et cetera, for various ODOT projects as an elected official stakeholder, and I have been a long-term stakeholder in both the Beltline improvements and in the Highway 126 improvements between Eugene and Benita. And as those projects move through, occasionally they come through to the Lane Area Commission on Transportation, which used to be pretty freight and car friendly. Because when you think about, when you talk about automobile capacity being dropped, think about tractor trailers along with that. If you're creating congestion, you're creating obstacles to freight movement. Remember, inflation, supply chain issues. Remember what I said about moving ahead to actually going backwards? Start limiting automobile capacity, you're limiting freight movement. Well, the activists in this area, people like Rob Zako and even City Councilor Claire Surrett are calling for no new lanes on any of these projects. Somehow or another, they think we're going to solve the safety problem along the viaduct across, you know, past Fern Ridge Lake, where all these head-on accidents are happening because there's no separation between people going 55 to 60 miles an hour in opposite directions, and there's no shoulders that somehow or another we're going to fix that without adding width to the roadway. That somehow or another we're magically going to fix the traffic problems at the Willamette River on Beltline without adding any additional lanes. Why are they pushing this? Because they don't like automobiles because they think it's adds to climate problems. And we don't need any new capacity. People should be riding the bus instead. Which really gets down to, we want to have control over the movement of the population. Once we get everybody on government-run mass transit and dependent on that, hmm, what happens when the next COVID comes along? How easy is it going to be able to shut things down and keep you in your home if they go, you know what, we're just going to turn the bus system off. Now, you all have sold your personal automobiles because they're not worth a damn thing because you can't move anywhere in traffic because we've shut the traffic lanes all down. Let alone, you know, the truck traffic that gets stuck 
in these in these things. So it just it's like wow, it's just one thing after another seems to be adding to this problem of inflation. These policies, the anti-car policies, which become anti-freight movement. You know, all these desires to put in roundabouts and and traffic calming devices and you know pedestrian crossings in places they shouldn't be in some ways. Um, you know, make it harder to move a tractor trailer. Slow it down, cause it to burn more fuel. Time is money. You know how hard it is to get drivers right now for tractor trailers? So if you make the trip take longer, you need more drivers because they have to have more trips to move the same, you know, same amount of freight over that time. But we don't have the drivers available. So what happens? They add to trip time and they cause supply chain problems. And then you wonder why food has gone up at like 16% over the last year. Why energy's gone up at 44%. I know that inflation's only 8.5%, but there are certain core pieces of inflation that have just well beyond 8.5%. And there's a lot that's going to be catching up over time as the cost of transporting goods is going to start getting built into the price of the products you're buying. Because there may be still stuff on the shelf today that's been on the shelf before the energy prices went up. But when they go to restock that item, you better believe that price is going up. And finding ways of making it harder to move products from point A to point B is only going to exacerbate those problems. Whether it's policies about, you know, how old your truck is to taking lanes away for mass transit, it's going to cause problems. While at the same time, we're going to write rules about short-term rentals to try and, you know, avoid having those in, in a spectacularly um, future-blind thinking, and, and now suddenly they're like, oh, we could really use some vaca- short-term vacation rentals. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm, I'm going to take a breath and remind folks who are calling show, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the Bose Nose show. Again, 646-721-9887, and don't forget to press 1, and uh, we'll have a conversation, talk about what you want to talk about. Otherwise, we'll go back to things that Jay wants to talk about, which could be my poodles. Who knows? But, you know, I, I have to get back to this election integrity thing a little bit, because you know, it's become the, it's almost become a partisan issue. If you don't, if you have any doubts about the system, you must be um, anti-democracy and and uh, trying to suppress people's ability to vote and everything else. Um, you know, here we have probably the widest open, um, most easy to register, easily to vote system in America. 
and we had one of the lowest turnout primaries. Georgia, on the other hand, has supposedly enacted all these horrible restrictions, which, by the way, Colorado already had in place when they moved the All-Star game to Colorado, but that's neither here nor there. But all these, quote, anti-democracy restrictions, they set a record for turnout in their primary. Even though people couldn't be brought food, you know, while they were waiting to vote or whatever it was, you know, that was really about, it wasn't so much about uh, feeding people in line or, or giving them water. It was about electioneering within so many feet of a polling station. But they like to make things sound like that what they're not. Um, you know, here we are, easiest way to vote, easiest way to get registered, lowest turnout. Georgia, all these things, like you actually had to show, you know, photo ID and stuff like that. Record turnout. But I bet they believe a lot more in their election integrity in that election than a lot of people. And, and, you know, that might be why we get such low turnout in Oregon. People don't trust the process, so why bother voting? If people believe the process has integrity and they trust it and trust the results, they'll turn out for the elections. They'll take the extra step, take some time off of work, whatever it is they need to do. You know, I remember my first elections, I stood in line in an elementary school waiting to go in the booth and pull the little levers and then crank the big arm that registered my votes, you know? And, the, and when you pulled the arm, the curtain opened back up, style voting machines. But, you know, you went, you know, there's usually a couple of nice old ladies that you sort of knew because the, you know, the elementary school didn't serve that big of an area that you went to to vote. And you kind of knew who was behind the counter and, you know, but they'd still look you up and check your ID and check you off and send you in to vote. And I remember standing in line for quite a long time to vote my very first presidential election in 1976. Yeah, and I was working minimum wage jobs and going to college at the time and still found a way to do it. Yeah, so interesting, uh, you know, that we have, now we have election week in Oregon because it's going to take at least a week before we get final results. Who knows when they'll get results out of Clackamas County because of the ballot printing snafu there. Um, seems like they could have reissued ballots. <laughs> Would have been quicker, faster, sending everybody a new ballot. You know, say, you know, throw, everybody throw away your old ones. We're sending out new ones. They've got this color code on them or something like that. And, and have the printer pay for the, the, the reprint and the postage that screwed up the first one. Um, yeah, that seemed that would have been a lot quicker. They've been able to count them automated, no recopying and all that stuff. Oh, well. Guess I'm not the clerk running the elections up there in Clackamas County. But I would certainly be asking some questions if I, if I was a Clackamas County resident right now about how my elections were being run. And, you know, this whole thing about they've got 
somebody from two different parties doing the chain, you know, the copying of the votes, that two different parties can be Democrat and Pacific Green. Think about that for a minute. Or it could be Republican and um, the Constitution Party. Not, you know, most people think, oh, they mean a, rep- a Republican, a Democrat. No, no. They say, if you listen carefully, they say two different parties. And when I've asked about this, I get that description. It's just two different parties, not not necessarily Republican, Democrat, partly because quite often they can't get enough Republicans to, to be temporary poll workers, especially seen in Lane County. They wouldn't let anyone that wasn't vaccinated work in the clerk's office because my fellow commissioners used our executive sessions to declare a vaccine mandate for our employees. And that's holding over to the elections department. And even the temporary elections workers had to show proof of vaccination or they weren't allowed to work for elections. Hmm. Do you think that might have disparately uh, impacted one party more than another? But, you know, they're they're all they're the equity people and, and we have to make sure we're being fair to everyone and equal results and stuff like that. Except for when it keeps Republicans away from, you know, watching how the ballots are are sorted, counted. The, the signatures are verified, you know, how they're handled. You know, we're, we're going to limit that just, you know, with this this vaccine mandate thing. <clears throat> and you wonder why there's mistrust. 75 voters in one household. No investigations of any sort of fraud we're talking about in this state ever. No, sub, no, no substantive investigations. But we're going to have to wait seven days to get our, our election results, which some people are going to not truly believe. And Mao Zedong said that if he could get people to stop trusting election results, he could take a country over in two years. But once the people have lost the trust in the results of the election, they're two years away from total revolution. How close are we to people just not trusting election results? For one reason or another. It's a bad thing. We should be doing everything everything we can to support the integrity of our election process so people can trust the results. Paper ballots or paper tracking of ballots so we can go back and do a hand recount by the actual ballots would be nice. Some states have gone fully electronic and and, and using software and stuff that seems to be black box. That one's pretty scary to me, let alone 
having 2,000 mules. Stuffing ballot boxes, ballot harvesting, which is legal in this state. Just to name another thing that, that bothers me. So, uh, it, I, I just, you know, postmarked ballots. What a bad decision the, the legislature made. Especially after watching that one New York congressional race basically go, go to hell in a handbasket over the postmarks. And, and just what I was talking about, were they, could they be read? Did they all get postmarked? You know, it's going to be a mess. You wait. Seven, you know, on that seventh day after the election, when they're supposed to finalize, you're going to start hearing about, you know, ballots with smudged postmarks and ballots with missing postmarks and, you know, you name it, that are being set aside might be counted later if they determine they're valid or not. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. We know you show up to one of those, you know, ballot collection sites after 8 p.m. on Election Day, your ballot will not count if it wasn't for this stupid postmark thing. <clears throat> I just I just assume have in-person voting. And, and only give out absentee ba- mail-in ballots uh, in special circumstance. Heck, I'd even support, you know, declaring it as a national, ho- you know, a state holiday for primaries and a national holiday for national elections, if that would get us back to all in-person voting and showing a voter photo ID and confirming your citizenship and your ability when you register to vote. I mean, you have to do more to check a book out of the library nowadays than you do to vote. You go to try and rent a property and you have to provide this kind of information. Apply for a job, you have to answer questions about citizenship. you have to make a copy of your driver's license, a copy of your social security card for them, and fill out, you know, W-9 and everything else. You know, it's, why is it such a bad thing to have to do that to vote? You do it for all sorts of things on a daily basis. And you have to do things even above and beyond that. Getting ready to take a cruise next month for our 40th wedding anniversary, and I've had to supply a copy of my vaccination records to the cruise company. Above and beyond all my other pertinent information so they have they know exactly who is on their boat, you know? <clears throat> but can't show your driver's license with a photo ID or something of some kind when you, when you uh, come in to vote. Well, you know what? That's about it for the Bose Nose Show today. I kind of ran over a bit. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.